First Peter chapter three, we're going to be in verse eight through 17 this morning and then verses 18 through 22. We're actually going to look at next week. So all those verses that the last part of this passage talking about prison and spirits in prison and all that fun stuff. Yeah, you got to wait till next week. So um, I am going to address it. I want to talk about it. Uh, those are actually some verses that have really been twisted uh, in recent years. Um, that was actually the whole premise of, of Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, uh, were these verses teaching that even if, in, even if you have gone to heaven, there's still a chance for you. Uh, so we def- I would definitely want to address that. There's a, there's a spiritual uh, wrongness that are taught in these verses in the church, um, but we do not have time this morning for all of this. So we'll kind of focus on 8 through 17 this week, and then we'll dive into 18 through 22 Next week, and then after next week, we'll kind of take a little break from First Peter, focus on Easter um, for for several weeks, and then kind of come back to First Peter there at, after Easter to finish that up as we uh, finish out the month of April. So that's kind of our plan, but obviously God changes plans, so we'll we'll see what happens. Um, March has come in like a lamb, so I guess that means it's going out like a lion. So. I don't know if we'll get one more cold snap or not, but let's enjoy these beautiful 60-degree sunny days for what they are. Um, Suffering for righteousness' sake. And so, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, or if you've been watching online or catching up for the podcast, just a reminder, Peter was writing this letter to all the different churches in, in Asia Minor. He was reminding them about the submission aspects. We talked about submission to authority, to government, even if they were a slave. Uh, He talked about uh, submission within the marriage and what does that look like. He talked to the husbands and the wives as many people were were unequally yoked and living in these interesting dynamics. And so he says all that to basically wrap it up with this last section here and what what would have been his letter that we've turned into a chapter about the suffering. Um, And so... What I, what I kind of want to do this morning is just kind of want to just keep it pretty simple. You know, we're going to talk about what we do know, what we're not to do, and then kind of how Peter put that out for us to apply. So starting in verse 8, um, it says, and I, actually I'm just going to read 8 through 17 uh, just as a whole, and then we'll kind of take it chunk by chunk. So it says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and seek good and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to the prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil now. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you shall be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for your hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if it should be God's will than for doing evil. So, going back to the beginning, characteristics, verse 8, are basically characteristics of us, the church, the believers. 
So he's, you know, he's been giving all these challenges. He's been talking about the suffering. He's been talking about what it's going to look like with government and marriage and a few other things. And so he basically wraps it all up. He's wrapping up this thought. And he's going to be, obviously, in chapter 4, moving on to, the, to a new thought in his letter. And so he says, finally, all of you. So, again, it wasn't just men or women or, or slave or free or unslave. It was everyone. Everyone in the church. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So in other words, these are the characteristics that he's asking the church to have. But all of it starts with unity. Um, And something I wrote in my notes is unity only happens by the Holy Spirit. Right? We can't have unity in the church. We can't have unity of mind. We can't have unity of anything if we're not bound together by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you're not living in the Spirit, it's, pos- it's impossible to be like-minded with other believers. There are, there are things we might agree on. There's things we don't agree on, and that's fine. But the Spirit is what unites us. And so if you're, if you're trying to do faith on your own, if you're trying to live without the Spirit, if you're trying to live on your own accord, I'm telling you, it's impossible be like-minded with other believers because the Spirit unites us. And what I mean by that is even if we don't always all agree on everything, the Spirit unites us in our love for each other, our sympathy for each other, our compassion to be like, you know what, I don't necessarily agree on that point, but I still love you and let's continue to do life together. But when the Spirit is not in us, then we tend to fight, we tend to have splits, we tend to break up, and we go our own separate ways because we want to live for self. So Peter is saying, look, you've got to have unity of mind. And that unity of mind comes with the Holy Spirit. And again, if you think back from everything we've talked about the last few weeks, he's like, have sympathy. And think about your brothers and sisters who are maybe in an unfair marriage. Think about your brothers and sisters who are maybe in this situation were slaves and they weren't free. Again, things that maybe we don't necessarily think about. But man, we are supposed to have sympathy for each other. And again... I would say we can't have sympathy for each other unless we know each other, right? I can't have sympathy. I mean, I can't have sympathy for you, but it helps to have sympathy when we're doing life together, when we're sharing stories. It's so much easier to have sympathy when we're in each other's lives. And so Peter's like, you've got to know each other. Every single person in this room has a story. Every single person has highs and lows of that story. And as we learn that story, that's where that grace and that mercy and that sympathy, like, oh, man, yeah, now I understand why so-and-so responded this way, because this is their story. And you can, you can help them walk through that. So having sympathy for each other, a brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Yesterday was our uh, first soccer game. Uh, Lydia and I are, are coaching this year, and uh, we, we got slaughtered. It was not good. Um, and it was interesting. We had, we have, we had some egos that needed to lose yesterday. Uh, we haven't lost in like almost three years. So it was good. It was good for us to lose. Uh, we, went, we stepped up to a different division and, and it showed. Um, but this one kid, I mean, he's a good player. And he kept just, Lydia was trying to teach him something, right? She was like, you got to do it. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Lydia finally said, if you know, then why aren't you doing it? I mean, just every time, every, I know. And it's like, he didn't know. He was getting beat out there every single time. He didn't have a teachable spirit. He did not know because he was not doing it. And, and, and so I, I give that example for us to not be like that. Because it's our human nature to go, I know. I know. I'm good. 
I got this. I don't need your help. I know. At least, at least that's my human nature. Right? And Peter's like, look, have sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. In other words, have a teachable spirit. So the, these are these characteristics. And it all starts with unity. And that unity starts with the Holy Spirit. So the, that's that first part. Then moving on to verse 9. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. So what are we not to do? Well, we're not to repay evil for evil. We're not to seek revenge. We're not to take care of it ourselves. And as we continue on, we're going to see over and over in these verses that God will fight for us. God will take care of those things. And it may not be right now. It may be down the road. It may even be when people are standing before the Lord. But it's like you, you can't repay evil for evil. You can't be like the world. You can't be trying to get revenge. You can't. You have to be on the contrary. He says, but on the contrary, bless. Bless. For, this, for to this we were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And it's such a simple word, but man, that is so hard to do, right? Like, we don't naturally want to bless, well, besides Bob Ross, we don't naturally want to bless people. We learned in Sunday school today that, that Bob wants to naturally bless people. I don't necessarily not want to naturally do that. So um, we, we had this conversation, and I was like, look, I'm just honest, I'm selfish, and I want myself to win. And Bob's like, Really? What kind of pastor are you? I was like, I'm just being honest. Without Jesus, I'm a jerk. Right? Without Jesus, I'm not naturally caring for others. I don't naturally want to bless. Without Jesus, I want to win. I want to get ahead. I'm just being honest. That's my natural self as a human being. But Jesus obviously transforms me and changes me. And so Peter's like, look, you can't repay evil for evil. You can't revile for revile. On the contrary, you're supposed to bless. Because that's what we were called to do. In other words, what did our Savior do? What did Jesus do? And he blessed people. And even as they're beating him, and as we're, as we're going to see in the upcoming weeks, even as he's on the cross, he's like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I, I know it doesn't say it in scriptures, but, but as, as Jesus was being beaten and that, the thorn went on his head and that they put the robe on him, I have to think that Jesus was literally praying for those people. Because he turned around just a few, few moments later on the cross and he's like, Father, forgive them. He was blessing his persecutors. He was blessing the people where he literally could have smited. He literally could have stepped in and said, enough. I'm God. I'm finished. This isn't going to happen. It's enough. I'm not doing this. You're going down. I'm going to get you back. But no, he blessed the worst of the worst. These soldiers that were brutally attacking him. He blessed the Pharisees. He blessed these different people that were constantly on his back. Now, he rebuked them, too, but he blessed them. And so Peter's reminding this, this Christian world that's living in a messed up, broken world. No different today, right? We live in this messed up, broken world. Our world is in chaos, and it continues to be in chaos as long as Satan reigns. And he's like, I don't care what season you live in, I don't care what century you live in, I don't care what time period you live in, the world is evil, and so you can't repay evil for evil. You've got to bless people. And I believe that that goes against our very nature for, for most of us. And we want to get revenge. We want to prove ourselves right. We want to prove ourselves righteous. We want to prove that we did the right thing. It's hard for us to bless our enemies. It's hard for us to bless these people that he talked about in the first part of chapter 2, in the second part, in the first part of chapter 3. It's hard for us to do that. 
And Peter says, but you got to do that so you can obtain the blessing. And he goes on here and he begins to quote uh, Psalms uh, 34 in the next part of this this. Uh, Bible verse. And this is the exact same language that even the author of Hebrews uses in Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 12. Right. Or I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter four, 10 and 12. Now, the the author of Hebrews doesn't quote Psalms. He quotes Proverbs. But it's it's exact same language. And and Peter's just quoting Psalms. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good deeds, let him keep his tongue from evil. His lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Right? So the psalmist knew this. The psalm knew that if you did evil, God's face was against you. The psalmist understood that there would be punishment if you did evil. The same thing is talked about in Hebrews chapter 4, 10 and 12. And again, quoting Proverbs. And we just saw that last week. The very, excuse me, the very end of the verses we talked about, right? He told men to, to honor their women, the weaker vessels, since they're heirs of grace, so that your prayers, what, may not be hindered. And right here he's quoting from Psalms, for the eyes of the Lord on the righteous, his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord are against those who do evil. He's like, if you want God to hear you, you want God to seek you, then you've got to live for God. You can't live for evil. You can't live for self. You can't live for the world. He's like, run away from those things. Don't desire evil. Don't desire deceit. Don't desire to get ahead. But desire the things that God loves. Essentially, he gave us the Sermon on the Mount, recapping all of the law. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. I'm redefining what the law looks like. And it can only be done through me. So again, all this starts with what that word unity and the unity we have as believers, the unity we have in the church, all starts with the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. We can't live this on our own. We can't bless on our own. We can't turn away from these things on our own. It's, it's by God regenerating our hearts, regenerating our minds, and helping us to think differently. It truly is a heart issue. And it starts in here. It does not start up here. As God just changes us from the end side out. So Peter quotes that, that verse and that verse and just gives the simple you gotta bless people. Continuing on in verse thirteen. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now Peter is not saying that suffering won't happen. He's not saying that at all. Quite the contrary, we know as we continue on in the book, and if you've read ahead, and if you've read the book before, suffering will happen. That's the whole point of the book, right? It was hope in the midst of chaos. It was hope in the midst of suffering. Peter knows suffering is going to happen. He himself is dealing with suffering. But he's reminding them that they are the children of God. If they belong to him, and this is not your home, then how can they harm you? What can they truly take away from you? Nothing. Right? If we're God's children and we're going home to heaven and we belong to him, they can take away everything that this world has to offer, but they really can't touch us. Because even if they take away all the things of this world, we go home to be with our father. And that, that's what Peter's reminding. He's like, he goes, at the end of the day, they cannot harm you. Yes, physically they can hurt you. Yes, physically they can make your life miserable, but they can't harm you. Because you're protected by Christ. You're his children. You're his, his masterpiece. You're, you're marked. You're labeled. 
And you will spend eternity in his presence, in his safety. They cannot harm you. And so to, to think like that and to live like that, we have to change that mindset. Right? I can't live for myself. I can't live for the world. In fact, I, I wrote down just some things to remind myself. If I live for myself, I live for the world. If I accept the things of this world, then I will be hurt because my fulfillment and my acceptance is falsely placed. If I'm living for the acceptance of man and the acceptance of this world, then I'm going to be broken constantly. But if I'm living for Christ, and if I'm living for that home, if I'm living for that call to go home, to finish my race well, zealously, he says, if you are zealous for what is good, they can't harm you. They can't harm you. They can't harm you. You know, as this, as this week progressed on, on, on Monday when we found out Burl was really, really sick, and, and on, on Tuesday we tried to talk to him, and he was only talking in French, and I knew it wasn't good when he was only talking in French, and I have no idea why he reverted to French in his last moments, but he reverted to French in his last moments, and, and I have no idea what he was saying. No idea what he was saying. But what I do know, what I do know, is that in those last days, Saturday and even Sunday, he called like everybody. As we've heard the stories, he was just imparting these last bits of, of wisdom. And one thing he kept telling the church, Tenny and Jivy and Daniel and Timothy, is they can't hurt you, keep doing the work. They can't hurt you, keep doing the work. He talked to all, he even called his daughter. He, he clearly knew he was going home. He, he talked to everyone in his final days. And Timothy told us that even on his deathbed, even as he's dying, as they had him in a car trying to get him to an airport, he was encouraging Timothy to carry on the work. He literally died preaching the gospel. Like, I, I'm not making that part up. And this week, there has been fighting over his body. We've been fighting with embassies. We've been fighting with, with consulates. We've been, there's a lady in Dakar that wants his body because she knew him once. I mean, it's just been this constant fight over this man's body because they're elevating the work. They're elevating the man. They're creating him into an idol. And I kept reminding the church, I'm like, it's not about Burl. It's not about the body. It's not about where the body rests in the ground. It's about continuing the work he started. I mean, I've said that so much in so many different languages this week because there was just this fighting. Well, we need him in profile. No, we need him in Cattel. Well, this la- I don't know who this lady was, but she's like, I want him in Dakar and I have money and I'm going to win. I mean, it's just it's this fighting over a body that's empty, that's lifeless. And I've seen the photos because Africans have no filters. Not pretty. But I just kept reminding them, guys, it's about the work. It's about the work. Keep doing the work. Keep doing the work. That's what Burl wanted to teach you. They can't harm you. They can't touch you. Don't worry about these things that you're fighting about. Keep doing the work. Be zealous for what is good. The same way that he was zealously teaching Timothy in his last breaths, we must zealously present the gospel to everyone around us. You don't have to go to Africa to present the gospel. There are lost people everywhere. Right? And they can't harm us. We have to zealously do what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. I literally had no idea on, on Monday I was going to be preaching this. I, I really hadn't looked that far ahead or I had forgotten. And, and as I'm talking to Timothy this, on Monday, I'm literally quoting these verses. Because Timothy was dealing with, with, with corrupt governments. He was dealing with corrupt people. They were fighting with him. They were, they were telling him he did wrong things. They were trying to throw him in jail over this missionary's body. 
on Tuesday, sorry, after he died. And I said, Timothy, you won't suffer. The truth will come out. Have no fear. You've got to stand firm. We kept telling him that over and over. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, yesterday the body was released and they're going to have the funeral. And it all worked out. God took care of it. But man, Timothy was scared. He was like, I'm going to jail, Mike. They think I poisoned him. They, they think I killed him. They think he has Ebola. I, I'm never going to survive this. I'm like, no, you're going to survive, Timothy. Just hold on. His testimony will speak for itself. And so Timothy suffered this week for righteousness' sake. And he was so happy yesterday morning when it was all over and he had been cleared of all charges. They literally tested the food and the water that Burl drank. They literally were accusing him of killing this man. They came and took everything. They confiscated everything. They were testing everything. It's, it was crazy. And so Peter's reminding the church. He says, look, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, and you will, he's like, you will be blessed. Now, is that blessing going to come here? Maybe. Probably not. But that blessing will come in heaven. You may be blessed here on earth. You may not. You may continue to suffer here on earth. You may not. But the promise is that the blessing comes. And that blessing comes when each of us stand before God. And he says, good job, faithful servant. You finished your race. You're home. You are now under my protection in my new heaven and new earth. And nothing can touch you. Here's what I have for you. Here's what I have for you as you finish your race well. I mean, that's what we have to look forward to. That, that welcoming arms, the Father just accepting us. And, and it says we'll sit on his lap, we'll sit at his table, we'll eat his food. I have no idea how all of us are going to sit on God's lap. But Scripture says we will. I have no idea how all of us are going to sit at the right-hand side of, of God and eat at his table. But Scripture says we will. I mean, those are the things we have to look forward to. We're going to sit on his lap, we're going to sit with him, we're going to eat with him. And we're going to have all of the blessings of him. There'll be no more suffering, no more crying, no more sadness. So that's why Peter says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. He's like, these are just earthly problems. These are earthly trials. And I'm not saying they're easy. Of course they're hard. He goes, but keep your eyes focused on the goal. Keep your eyes focused on the promise. Because if you don't, you will stumble and fall. That's why the parable of the sower, right? Man, the parable of the sower, like, look, the, the seeds fall. And the, it says the troubles of the world chokes and overwhelms. But man, be that wheat that produces I mean, that's the, the, what Peter's literally leaning on here. Have no fear of them. Don't be troubled. Don't let the things of this world overtake you. Remember what you're fighting for. Remember the zeal. Remember the righteousness. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And make sure you're always honoring Christ the Lord as holy. And always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always, always, always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks the reason for hope in you. Verse 14, when he, to go back just a second, he says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Again, direct quote from Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.10. Hey, guess who was at that Sermon on the Mount? Peter. Guess who sat there and heard it? Peter. Guess who had lived it? Peter. We can take his word. I mean, he heard Jesus say it. He watched Jesus live it. Now he's living it. 
He's like, look, they're going to persecute you. They're going to come after you. He's like, Jesus told us to, told us it. And, and my friend Matthew wrote about it. I'm going to quote it here. He goes, but you'll be blessed. He's like, you'll be blessed. Have no fear. He said, but always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I, I, I stopped there when I was preparing this week. I said, always be prepared. And I had to ask the question, are we always prepared? Can we make a defense of why we have hope? Can we share our faith with other people? I think that's something we should be able to do. To talk about why we have hope. To talk about why we have peace. To talk about why we can get through these troubles. We should always be prepared. Because people are going to ask, why are you different? Why are you weird? Why do you do what you do? Why do you go to church on Monday, Thursday instead of Good Friday? Are you some cult or something? Why do you celebrate Easter? Why do you celebrate Christmas? What about the bunny? What about the chocolate? Are you taking my child to a cult? Are you taking my child to church? What do you believe? What's going on? I mean, maybe you guys haven't had those questions asked of you, but I have. My wife has. And the list goes on and on and on and on. When you begin to talk about your faith, people are like, what do you believe? Where do you go? And there's so much false truth out there. And I'm glad parents ask that question, like when we invite kids to church. I'm glad they want to know where we're taking their kids. I had one person last night say, well, you only work one day a week, so you should be good to go. I was like, oh, if that was only the truth. But then I began to talk about what I do. I said, I said, yeah, I know. I only work once a week. I just kind of roll with it anymore. I just joke around. So it's pretty nice. I said, if you think about it, what they pay me for once a week of working is a really good salary. It's almost as good as football players. Oh, just kidding. I didn't actually say that. But I just began to talk about the things that I do and, and the, the conversations that I have. And, and they're like, wow, I, I had no idea that's what it meant to be a Christian. I had no idea that's what it meant to be a part of the church. Like, I just thought you guys just showed up on Sunday and did your thing. I was like, no, it's so much, so much more than that. So be ready to defend. Be prepared in every season to tell people why you have this reason for hope. Again, it's a heart issue. And our faith is about the condition of our hearts, not our minds. Faith is about the condition of our hearts, not our minds. We can know lots of things. We can understand lots of things. We can memorize a lot of things. But what's going on inside here? Faith ultimately becomes the condition of our heart, not our minds. And are we, are you, am I ready to defend? Are we prepared? Can we answer why we have hope? And if you can't, I think you need to ask the question, why? Why can't I talk about this? Am I ashamed? Am I scared? Am I ill-prepared? Do I need training? Have we failed in discipling? I mean, these are good questions to ask. But he says, yet do it in gentleness and respect. So as we share hope, again, that, that picture, of there's relationship there, right? We're doing it with gentleness and respect. We're respecting the person we're talking to. And if you're respecting the person, you have gentleness, you probably have a relationship with the person. You understand where they're coming from. He says, do it in gentleness and respect. 
One of the things I despise the most, and this is probably from my good Baptist upbringing, but when someone gets up front and just starts screaming and yelling and saying, repent now or you're going to go to hell and burn. Right? I think some of you have been in those kind of church services. Or you can't speak in tongues, therefore you don't have the Spirit in you. Or you can't speak in tongues, so therefore you don't know Jesus. That, that, that fear and shame that has been used far too long in church to convince people to come forward. And so they come forward because they're literally scared to death of what's going to happen because someone's been up front screaming at them and they're sweating and their face is red and there's spit everywhere. Like, I, I, I grew up in that. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you've never left sick more than praise the Lord that you've never experienced that. But it's scary. Man, I remember as a little kid thinking, I'm going to die and go to hell right now. Like, I don't know how many times I ran forward because I was petrified. And yet Peter reminds us to teach the gospel, to share our reason for hope and what gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Words, can you go to sleep at night with the way you've handled yourself? Can you sleep at night? Can, do you have a good conscience with the way that you've handled yourself, your affairs, your conversations? This is having a good conscience, treating people with gentleness and respect. This isn't a fear tactic. This isn't a force tactic. This isn't a yelling. And every, every time when I start to fall asleep, I, I go through that kind of like, what did I do today? Who did I talk to? How did I talk to? Is there anyone I need to apologize to? Is there, is there, was I out of line? Generally, the people I have to apologize to are my wife and kids. You know, so a lot of times getting up the next morning just saying, hey, whoever the kid is, I, I'm sorry for what I said yesterday or how I said that. You know, it doesn't necessarily change my answer, but how I responded to them and my, maybe my mannerisms or, or stuff like that. But, you know, having a good conscience. Peter's talking about when you're slandered, when you're, when you're reviled, when you're picked on, that your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. But knowing that you can go to bed at night going, you did all that you could do. You did the right thing. You honored God. You respected people. You were gentle. You stood up for faith, even if someone else didn't like it or continued to attack you. He says, for it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And we struggle with that. Why should I suffer for doing good? Why would God's will be for me to suffer for doing good? It makes sense to suffer for doing evil, right? I mean, that makes sense. If someone does evil, they should suffer. They should go to prison. They should be punished. That makes sense. But it doesn't make sense in our heads why we'd suffer for doing good. Why would God allow that to happen? Why did God allow Job to go through what he went through? Why did God allow Peter and Paul and James and John and all the apostles to go through it? Why would a loving God do that? It just it doesn't always make sense, and we wrestle with that. And so out of that, we've created things like the prosperity gospel. Out of that, we've created things like love wins, and there is no punishment, because a loving God would never rightly punish anybody. We have to justify it in our human thinking and what makes sense to us. And yet Peter reminds us that at times you're going to suffer for doing good because it's God's will. And James says that we learn character. We grow from it. 
we become stronger. Right? That very first part of James chapter 1. It's like, this is how you grow. Because in those times, in theory, you lean into God. You trust God more. You seek God more. But as human beings, we don't like that. We can't accept that. And so in the last 30 years, we have begun to rewrite scriptures in church to take these kind of verses out of scripture altogether, to justify our actions and to tell people there is no consequence for their actions. It's okay. Come to church. You don't really have to change. You just have to accept Christ and it'll all work out in the end. That is the message that's being taught in so many churches right now, this morning, across our country. It's okay. Come to church. You don't have to change. Love wins in the end. A loving God would never actually punish you. You don't actually need to really live differently. You can keep doing what you're doing because it'll all work out in the end. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, there are people out there preaching that this morning. And people are sitting in the pews hearing it, going, awesome, great. Well, I went to church, so I'm good. I don't, I don't really need to change. That guy told me it'll be okay. God's a God of love and there will be no consequence. And that is anything but the truth. Because it's a hard issue and there is a consequence. But the consequence is not because God is a loving God. The consequence is because God is a just God. And if we choose ourselves, if we choose sin, if we choose the world, then God has to justly discipline that. The choice is on us. And God gives that choice to us. What do you want to do? Do you want to serve me or serve the world? You can't serve two masters. Who are you going to serve? Me or self? Me or world? But we got people out there teaching. It doesn't matter who you serve because love wins. Which is true. Love does win. Love won on the cross. But man, how, how slick is Satan to take a simple sentence like love wins and twist it to get more and more and more people lost. So Peter tells us, look, we've got to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. Reminds us, do not repay evil for evil. Don't revile people or make fun of them, mock them, persecute them is what that word means. We need to bless people no matter what. They can't touch you, so don't worry. They cannot actually harm you. Honor God in your hearts. It says, in your hearts, honor God, the Lord, because He is holy. Always honor God in your hearts. Be even prepared to talk about your faith. Being prepared to tell people why you have hope and have a good conscience that you did the right thing in each and every situation and where you didn't go and ask for forgiveness and apologize. And be prepared and understand that sometimes you're going to suffer. As believers, you're going to suffer. Because sometimes that's just God's plan. And it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense from a human mind. But God is saying, look, I, I, I need... I need you to trust me. I need you to lean on me. And all of you who have been reading through the Old Testament, you, you saw that a couple weeks ago or a couple days ago. I, I don't know when it was now. But when, when they were complaining about food, God said, I'm going to give them manna. Right? I'm going to give you this manna. And, and you're going to go out and you're going to gather it. You just gather enough for the day. And he told Moses right there, I'm doing this to test the people. To see if they will obey me. Moses is like, all right. These stiff-necked rebels, they're not going to obey you, but okay. So God said, I'm going to give them manna to test and see if they'll obey me. And some people did. 
You guys read the books, you read the stories. Some people didn't, right? They went out and gathered two, three, four, five days worth. And in the morning, what happened? There was worms. It was rotted. It was gross. God told him, he's like, look, you just need enough for today. I'll take care of your daily needs. You just need enough for today. If you take more, it's going to rot. But they had to have more. They had to be prepared. They had to take care of themselves. They couldn't trust God's word. And so I believe sometimes suffering happens because God is testing us. He wants to know, do we trust him? Do we believe in him? Are we going to follow his will? And his will sometimes is hard. It doesn't make sense. Or it takes us to strange and weird places or conversations. It might take you to the West End Bottoms in Kansas City because there's someone there you need to witness to. It might take you to the foothills of Arkansas where you're not even sure if they're speaking English or something else. It might take you to New York City where you'll have to figure out what does this finger that keeps popping up mean. I mean, God's will takes us weird places. And it might take you out of this country. It might take you to another place altogether. And in that, there might be some suffering. Because we can be persecuted as much in America as we can around the world. When those fingers pop up in these big cities, we have a choice. Do we shout back? Do we yell back? Do we go, oh, that must be a new way to talk and give it back? Or do we love on them? Do we bless them? Do we pray for them? Are we willing to go where God may be sending us? Lord, I just thank you for this message this morning. Thank you that you used Peter to remind us of who we are, what we're to be. Again, the things that we weren't supposed to do, just re, I mean, recapping literally your words from Psalms, from Proverbs, from the Sermon on the Mount. Because Peter understood it was difficult. And Peter was living it. Quite possibly even in captivity as he wrote it under Roman house arrest. This wasn't a foreign concept to anyone in the early church to suffer. And they wanted to encourage the church at that time and even today to continue the work, continue blessing people, continue moving forward and understand that sometimes life is a valley of a shadow of death, but fear no evil, for you are with us. So Lord, we thank you for this reminder, we thank you for this passage, and even as we continue on next week and looking at just the the teachings of baptism that are here, right here in Peter, and why it's so important to be baptized, showing what has gone, showing outwardly what has happened inwardly as a regeneration of our hearts. That we can suffer this way and we can love people this way because you've changed us. We're not the same. And we don't look at things the same way. So Lord, this week, this month, this year, as we encounter situations that feel unjust. God, help us to be Jesus in those situations. God, help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In your name we pray. Amen.